Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. We have another nor'easter. I don't know why they call it a nor'easter, but they call it a nor'easter. We have another one forecast for the next few days in New Jersey. And funny thing is, I always feel bad for people in Boston because it seems like Boston always gets their butt kicked. It's like we get some rain, we get like an inch or two, but Boston gets like two feet. But the thing about here is you never know because I've noticed after living in L.A. for 15 years, the weather people had a pretty easy job because it's sunny most of the time. But here, the weather people really stink. They, they miss it a lot. They say it's going to snow and it rains. They say it's going to rain, it's going to snow. So hopefully, hopefully we won't get a lot of, a lot of uh, snow, maybe get some rain instead, and it'll make me happy. Anyway, we have a great show today, and I'm sure my guest is very concerned about the weather because I believe he's going on a tour tomorrow. He's a comic. He's always on the road. He's an actor, and his name is Mark Price. How you doing, Mark? That is correct. I'm heading from beautiful, sunny California where it is so gorgeous right now, and I'm heading into the eye of the storm. Where are you going to? Upstate New York. We start in... Um where are we exactly? I don't even know all the different places, but we were in upstate New York this week and uh, New Jersey on Sunday. Oh, cool. Where in New Jersey? Uh, the Stanhope House in Stanhope, New Jersey. Because okay, I live... We're at Rockwell's and Pelham, and we're at the River Casino, big river casino somewhere. And that's a new one in New York, a new casino that opened in upstate New York somewhere. And then we're at the Kellett Civic Center. Now... If I get that right. Now, in Oneida, New York. So you got, Civic Center. you're coming right into the storm, man. So what, what are some of the experiences you've had? Have you ever gotten like just really snowed on where you've got stranded? Cause you've been on the road for a long time and you know, I mean, I used to be on the road and you know, you, you don't, you don't want to book certain places, but have you, tell me like your one of your worst horror stories when you were trying to get to a gig and it just, well, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. I, I guess uh, my memories uh, fold out to the positive for some reason. I, I, I tend not to remember the bad memories. So, like, uh, I remember getting snowed in at the Colorado Springs gig. Remember Jeff Valdez used to run a gig in Colorado Springs? It's still there, but without Jeff Valdez anymore, he became a big shot in Hollywood. And he um, had a club there, and I remember we got snowed in the whole weekend, you know, where the whole was canceled, you know, it was just a crazy storm. Uh, but we had fun. We, we partied. It's funny. Of course, it was the 80s, so yeah. that's all anybody did. It was a lot different. Now, how did you get into the comedy? Your father was a comedian, I believe, right? Yeah, it was a great introduction to the business. You know, imagine being hanging out with George Burns and Milton Berle and Joey Bishop and Jackie Mason and literally hanging out with those guys like backstage and in the limousine on the ride back to New York and, you know, stuff like that in the Catskill Mountains. That's where I, I caught the tail end of the Catskill Mountains. And, uh, and in those days, uh, you know, guys like Robert Klein and David Brenner were coming up to do gigs there. And, you know, as Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld got famous, they started coming up there, you know, that kind of thing. So I got to see everybody. Now, as a kid, and you saw your father perform, is it something that you thought you wanted to do? I mean, I know you were exposed to this, because it's like anything. You know, if a kid's father's an accountant and he's going, he's around accounting, he's going to learn about that. As a kid, did you know you wanted to do comedy? And did you think you were funny as a kid? Well, don't get the wrong idea. You know, it's not like I uh, I had no choice, but I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like to say when my dad taught me to ride a bike, he had me go really slow and in traffic. And that way I learned to deal with hecklers. <laughs> okay. Because he was a comic. He was a comic. But um, the truth of the matter is he was an old-time comic, right? Like so much older that most comics today can't even imagine. You know, he said, 
today's comic looks at Jay Leno as an old time comic, you know. But um, my dad was Rudy Valley's protege. If that means anything to you. And he wow. was on the radio with Fred Allen okay. in nineteen forty. And so he was working in the thirties and stuff. My dad really was an old old timer. And so from that generation of showbiz, the kid used to come along, you know, in the trunk backstage and as soon as he could join the act he would and as soon as he had his own act he did and that was kind of the world my dad came from so it he came from that world and it just kind of made sense he never questioned it i never questioned it it was just the way our family did things now when's the first time you got on stage how old were you because i know it's you know i mean you were you were young so i was a little baby i was i was a, a cheap device for applause that's how i began you know, I was brought out literally in diapers, and uh, I think I peed myself. I think the first time I was on stage, I peed myself, and uh, it, it wasn't the last time. Now, yeah. <laughs> now, when did you actually start deciding you were going to do your own stand-up and start putting an act together? So that came about 12 years old, uh, 13 maybe. Uh, I uh, moved to California, and I started auditioning and getting parts on TV shows, and um you know, there was a like a kids' talent show kind of thing. It ended up being at the Roxy, the famous Roxy Theater, and on the Sunset Strip. You know, where Richard Pryor shot a movie and stuff like that. A great history of rock and roll, mostly, but some great comedy history as well. And um, I got to be a part of that history and share that stage with every great, you know, icon of rock and roll, mostly. Again, the Roxy was a rock and roll place. But I also got to go see those shows, too. That was cool. I was a little kid, but I got to sneak in because I knew the guy who worked the lights and all that. But, yeah, we did this. It was a kid's show, and they had singers and dancers, and I was the comedian. And so I remember auditioning for that. That was my first time doing stand-up solo. And I got it. Now, how did you formulate your act back then? Because you're a kid. I mean, it's like, you know, you think as we get older, we write jokes. I mean, what what did you what did you do? Do you remember what you talked about your first times on stage? I mean, what kind of material? Well, did, you, you have nothing to actually talk about. You're a kid. And that's not true. You have plenty to talk about. But it's not like your life experiences are, are so flushed out. I know comedians in their 30s are still trying to figure out who <laughs> they are. You know, as a little kid, going to come up with define his personality. And uh, it's kind of like when you watch Junior, I don't know, it's not Star Search anymore, but whenever they have like kids on, on uh, America's Got Talent or something, they're always, you know, any kid performer, the nature of it just makes them so adult, so young, you know. And then they take it even further, they do the, they sing songs, they have no comprehensive potential to understand the lyrics, you know. Right. <laughs> you know <laughs> memories of what, when you were five, you're six. You don't have any memories. Anyway, I... Um, I was one of those kids. I so I did kind of like my dad. I was doing my dad. I, so, I was, so what it ended up being was like a little kid Catskill comedian, <laughs> and so it was kind of a novelty. It was unique, and you know, I got on. Uh, I actually got on Archie Bunker's place playing that kind of character. I was the comedian kid, you know, and I picked on Archie. I remember that I got to work with him and stuff. You know, what's your name? Uh, A bunker, a bunker, and it was. I said, I didn't ask what you were built like. I asked what your name was. <laughs> so, so that was that. Was I, that got, what, I got to sit in the chair. I got to sit in the chair. So that was one of your first acting gigs, and I think before that you were on One Day at a Time, right? That those were my first gigs, and I um, around that time was doing my stand-up comedy as a solo and the show at the Roxy, and that brought us a lot of attention, and that's what the uh, Merv Griffin people saw. 
and they brought us on the show, some of the kids from the the Broxy show they brought on to the uh, Merv Griffin show. And then NBC saw that. So it all snowballed very quick. Now, now, at, at going to the Merv Griffin show, and it's so funny because, you know, as you said, people under 30 don't remember what the Merv Griffin show is, but there's always comics in the Merv Griffin show and the Mike Douglas show, and there was always great things like that. What was it like, what was it like for you as a little kid going on that show? Did you know that millions of people were watching you? I guess I had a sense of that. It was very exciting for me. I did the same thing, you know, uh, you interview a lot of comedians and stuff, and so I don't even know if they talk about this stuff anymore, but in the day, back in the day, you know, The Tonight Show, getting on The Tonight Show was the big golden ring. Remember, that was the whole reason anybody was in comedy was to get on The Tonight Show, and it meant so much, and so much more than it means even now, you know, for a comedian, your, your whole career was made if you did well on The Tonight Show. You remember, you know what oh, yeah. I'm talking about. And so... Um, it was sort of a well-known thing amongst comics. I was reading in Jay Leno's book today, actually. He was talking about it. Um, that um, you had to have a few sets ready if you wanted to do it right, because very often you would do well, and they would bring you back, and you will have used all your best material, and now what do you got? <laughs> and that's a famous thing for comedians. It's a struggle. You can't just have one good set. You have to have more than one. So if they call you back, you're ready to go again. Right. And so I, you know, 14 years old, I could hardly get through the first set, let alone, you know, the second one. So I did really well, and that happened to me. They called me back right away, like five weeks later. They wanted me back on. And uh, and my dad helped me prepare for the first one, my dad being this great, legendary comedian, very skilled, very capable coach. And, and that's why I did so well, because my dad schooled me hard on that one, by the way. He really trained me, like the coach from Rocky. Hit him hard, kid. Hit him hard. And... Um, and it was the, the stopwatch I still have, by the way, the stopwatch we worked with. And um, great memento from my time with my dad. And and so, but yeah, the second one, he was on the road, and I kind of put it together with a friend of mine, a teenage friend of mine. And it had Jay Leno jokes in it, and it had, you know, inappropriate jokes for my dad's act. Like, you know, some weird, I don't know, I think I did like a Marie Chevalier impression or somebody. I didn't even know who he was, you know, like, <laughs> a little kid trying to do something funny for my dad's act and then add to it now um and this is almost going to sound rude for me to even say this but the guest host the second time i went on it wasn't merv and, and let's face it merv was good merv was like a really good talk show and this was dick clark now dick clark of course one of the most famous hosts on earth right okay? <laughs> but he's no merv right. <laughs> <laughs> and i learned that that day because where Merv made me feel so comfortable and Merv set me up for all the jokes so perfectly and everything. It was just a little, a little awkwarder with Dick Clark. And, but mostly because I was, I can't, I want to blame Dick Clark. That's rude. Mostly because I just wasn't ready and I didn't have the right <laughs> material and I was nervous. And so I started talking fast, you know, when you get nervous. And, and, uh, I remember on that second episode, there was also moon unit Zappa was on and she lip synced to Valley girl. <laughs> so I wasn't the only one that had a bad day. Cause that's a hard song to lip sync to. Right. So you said NBC came calling at that at a young age. What was was your first? Was you were in a series? Was it called The Condo? Was that one of your first series? That was on ABC. So yeah, that was you know part of everything kind of happens for a reason. You don't understand, but it all goes. That's why when things don't go quite right these days, I try to remember that. Sometimes you forget. It's hard to remember, but you know you can't fight destiny, but you can help steer it. But you can't. Um, deny it and you can't uh, you just 
can't get caught up in things that don't go exactly the way you want them to, even though I do that sometimes. Because uh, sometimes there's other things that are going to happen maybe that are even better and you don't understand that yet. And so uh, in the case of that, yeah, that's, I was did this other show, Condo, and it didn't get picked up, and it was so sad, and my, my series didn't get picked up, and blah, 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 but then I ended up on Family Ties, a way better show. Yeah, now, now yeah. did you did you have a long auditioning process for that, and how did they write your character? I mean, I watched it, but it was so long ago, I forget, too. What season, were you in from the very beginning, or did they bring you in later? So the first season, I started doing just a couple of episodes, and the same the second season, and in between, I did that other show, Condo. And then it was stuff like that, like where I wasn't available for them. They had a couple of scripts that I was in, and I made a movie. I made my first movie when I was 15, and I was uh, way making that. They called me to be on an episode of Family Ties. I was written into the script and stuff, and I wasn't available. They were like, what? Skippy's not available. And uh, they had to rewrite the script and stuff. And so that's when they made me the offer, and NBC encouraged them as well. NBC liked the fact that I was young, and I kind of young Alex up a little bit. I think they liked that, and uh, they liked young you know, that was a very interesting time. As Family Ties began, uh, some people talk about it, that it was originally going to star the parents, and then it ended up starring the kids. And in a sense, that did happen. And in a sense, that happened, you know, everywhere in all of television and media around that time. You know, you got re- you look back to the repeats from the 60s and stuff. There's old people on shows. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and, and Family Ties was, you know, just the, the, got the, on the cusp of that no longer occurring. And so, yeah, the show started to sort of gravitate towards the kids. So I got more play. Now, how does that change your life? Because everybody watched that show. You know, it's so funny because we've both been around. And you, you, know, you try to explain to people that before there was every 8,000 cable shows and the reality shows and this and that, there was like, you know, for me growing up in the Philadelphia area, it was channel 3, 6, and 10. You know, and that was NBC, CBS, and ABC. And you had Family Ties. And every woman watched it and because it, it had a great cast. And you're right. It related to a lot of kids. And everyone loved Michael J. Fox's character, but everybody watched it. So as a kid, how do you see that? How does your life start changing? Because you have to start gaining momentum because all of a sudden, everybody's going to know who you are. Yeah, but it was pretty mellow, though. It was, I mean, when I say mellow, mellow, mellow is bad choice words. There was nothing mellow about it. But I guess it was mellow by comparison to, like, you know, Michael J. Fox and Jim Carrey and some of the other superstars at the time that I was friends with, and I saw their rise to superstardom, and they had it, you know, they couldn't go to the supermarket and stuff, you know, they had it like nuts. I never had it that, I had, there were a few, I had my moments, <laughs> you know, showed up on the college campus, went to a party, whatever, everybody, you know, clamoring, oh, there's a guy from TV, whatever, you know, it's not like I'd ever got to experience, you know, that Beatle-like thing. I went to Australia, I remember, just in, within a few days, I was on all the TV shows in Australia, and they have, like, national television, and so very quickly you become, you know, you can, in those days anyway, you could go on their Saturday Night Live and their David Letterman and, you know, in a few TV and their Merv Griffin, and all of a sudden the whole country knows you're there. Now, do you think... And so, I, I got, so anyway, I experienced that, so it wasn't like I didn't experience any of it, but I, on a much milder level than those other guys I mentioned, and so... I was always appreciative of that, that I, you know, I had it, but it was never like, you know, too insane. Uh, people want you to want fame. They want you, to, you know, fame has become such a key fame at any cost. It's such a big deal in America and the Kardashians and, you know, the price of fame and all that stuff. And as someone who's had it, I enjoy it. I don't live for it. It's not my thing. People want me to want it more than I do. 
Now, did everyone like when you were out there? Did a lot of people just call you Skippy? I mean, because people—that's that's one of those characters. That's an iconic TV character. I mean, you know, you're very humble, you know, in explaining it. But and to be honest, that's you know, there's iconic TV characters. I mean, in my age group, you know, I'm 53. There's a ton of them, and Skippy is one of them. I mean, everybody knows Skippy. I mean, I mean, do you ever think about that? You know, that that was an iconic character, and do people do people always call you Skippy? I've grown to cope. I've grown to cope. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm 50 years old now, so <laughs> it's a little, always a little weird to be 50. Also, with every passing decade, it does get a little harder to just grow to cope. But you just do because uh, people, um, it's a name for crying out loud. It's a goofy name. It's a nickname. I was Louie before I was Skippy, so my whole life, because my little name's Louis. So they called me Louie in the neighborhood and stuff. Um, it's a nickname. It's, it's like a, it's, I, I say it's my stripper name. <laughs> but it's it's the family ties was the root of so much good that happened in my life even to this day it's the part of my world in such a good way that the people remember fine you know people pick on jimmy walker jj jimmy walker they say you know he doesn't want to say dynamite anymore give him a break he doesn't have to it's been since the 70s he was i'll point out he was the phenomenon of his show jj that was he was the michael j fox of his show I was the skippy of my show, so I get to, I have to deal with it a little more. That's just the way it is. Now, as you were doing the show, were you also working on stand-up and, and honing your craft, or were you more more concentrated just, you know, TV and acting at that time? Because once again, you were young, and I guess it was probably harder to get into comedy clubs because you have to be a certain age, I'm, I'm assuming. No, you could do that. You could sneak in. I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but I, I became a regular to improv when I was 17. That was a pretty big deal for me, and I started touring when I was about 17 and so family ties was still going on. I was out doing colleges and comedy clubs and there for that sort of rise of the comedy clubs around the country and all that. And, um, uh, it was, you know, I like doing both. That was always, you know, I wish I was doing both again. No, no. <laughs> I ended up on the wrong side. I ended up with the wrong one. That was what was always so funny. I was destiny too, because even back in those days, it was always so funny because here I was on a hit series and all the comics at the time, you have to remember in the early 80s, Drew Carey, Tim Allen, Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld even, who were the most respected comics in the business, they weren't, they didn't have TV shows yet. They weren't, they weren't the host of The Tonight Show or the star of Seinfeld. You know, Paul Reiser, the list goes on. You name any of those guys. And they were all at the improv the thing on a Wednesday with me. Right. <laughs> and I was on a show already. And so a lot of them wanted to know about it and wanted to talk to me and wanted to meet me. They wanted that. You know, it was a big thing. They wanted what I had. And I wanted what they had. And that was the, the irony. Now, when you were... Irony. When you were hanging out... allows me to be playing this Sunday night at Stanhope House in New Jersey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, when you were hanging out with them, like, who did you look up to? I mean, you know, whose act did you look up to when you were, you know, when you were, as I said, right before Seinfeld didn't break it? I remember I did comedy back in the East Coast in the late 80s, early 90s, before Seinfeld had his show. And I remember, you know, he would play in, like, there's a place in Reading called, like, the Burn Mountain. And like, all these bookers would book people. The Comedy Works in Philadelphia was a big place. But who were some of the comics you looked up to and that you sort of really like their acting. Well, the first, the first time I worked at the Comedy Works, I'll never forget, you know, Todd Glass was my opening act. I've had some big people open for me along the way. Okay. You know, Kevin James, uh, uh, Jay Moore, Dane Cook, you know, people like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, Todd Glass and I remember we did a show. We went and did like, remember in those days they had three shows on Saturday night? That oh, was yeah. the commonplace. <laughs> and then we did a late show, like a fourth show. 
for a prom somewhere. Anyway, it was so much fun. Todd and I are friends to this day. That was a great night. Um, so, but your question was, who are some of the comics that you looked up to? I mean, when you were working. Oh, well, Todd Black is one of them. Certainly, I remember recognizing that. Jay Moore, certainly. These guys that opened for me that were so talented. Dane Cook, they used to refer to him as uh, people had uh, people were so jealous of him. They called it Dane Envy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but from the early days of uh, the comedy store and the improv for me, my early days with it, by the way, not the early days of those venues, because I, I moved in about the early 80s is when I started hanging out at those places. And it was, you know, the famous guys are Jim Carrey. And, um, you know, Gary Shandling, Dennis Miller, and I don't know, Dana Carvey, all these guys that I I looked up to all of them. And then there's some guys that were less famous, you know, that I really looked up to, like Freddie Asparagus, who's like one of the funniest guys. Most people, (laughs) ironically, don't know him by name. With with that name, you'd think people would know his name. Right. Right. (laughs) <laughs> but but he was one of the funniest, warmest guys, and um, there was a whole group of comedians at the comedy store actually that I used to hang out with that were very uh, inspirational for me. Now now, how is your act changing when you're when you're after, when you have your TV show and you're going out? Did you feel you were ready to headline? Because it happens a lot of times where some acts, you know. They've only been in the business. I mean, you've been doing it a long time, but we always hear stories about an actor who's been doing it for like three years. And then they get a TV show, and and you know how it is. They they think they have forty five minutes, but they have twenty. You know, what, how was your act developing at that time? Were you getting to do? You know, how well, you I started. I started doing it right. I, I did it pretty good. There was a good friend of mine who was a great headlining comedian already. He had you know earned his place as a headliner, working up material and putting in years of time and stuff. And uh, he would go out with me, and I would middle, and we would use me to kind of help sell, because uh, I was on a TV show and stuff, to help sell tickets. And then we did some improv games at the end of the show. I'd come back out. And we did that for a while, and that did real well. And then I remember I started going out on my own, and it was, you know, because I had been doing it for a long time. At that point, you know, I was 18 years old or so, and I had been, you know, doing comedy since I was 14. And um, alone, and doing it my whole life with my dad, and sort of had my dad's whole history and everything to draw from. And so that I, I was, I, in some ways I was, <laughs> I don't want to say I was hitting it harder back then than I am now, but I watch back to these tapes when I'm 20 years old and stuff and go, wow, I was skinny. <laughs> <laughs> but that, isn't that all? Oh, isn't that everyone? Please tell me. I had hair when I was 20. I look at it. Someone even said to me, they're like, oh my God, someone I found on Facebook, they came to one of my shows because I perform every once in a while. And she's like, after the show, she's like, what happened? You had like the best hair in high school. I'm like, we go bald. It happens sometimes. That's life. Hey, let me tell you about this latest tour I got coming up because it's really something else. And uh, we could uh, maybe uh, wrap it with that if that works for you. Okay. This is, I, you know, and again, you've mentioned uh, some of the people I've worked with and everything. I've actually got to open for Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld. And I went on tour with Weird Al Yankovic and Carrot Top. And this was, um, and those were all amazing adventures with great comedians and great comedy minds and brilliant comedy shows. And what a great opportunity. Um, and this tour is up there with those. It really is. It's amazing. You know, I've, I've opened for Robin Williams. And this is called Robin, the Ultimate Robin Williams Tribute Experience. And it's the guy who uh, plays the Robin Williams that makes it so amazing. His name is Roger Cabler. And he's been around. It's not he's not a newbie. He's had his own NBC series that he started. In. He's been on The Tonight Show. So it's not like Hollywood completely missed, that, you know, missed the boat on him. But they... Um, 
he didn't, you know, his show never became a big hit. And he kind of moved away from Hollywood. And people don't know him by name. People don't even know him. People don't really know about him. But I'm telling you, he's the best mimic in the world today. And his Robin Williams has always been, you know, astonishing, according to Daily Variety. Um, and his ability to, um, like, transform into Robin Williams is insane. It's, it's like he's channeling him. In fact, he feels that, in fact, Robin is using his body as a vessel so that he can keep making people laugh. Honestly, is that, is that bizarre? Oh no, I, I know Roger. Roger's been on the show. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm friendly Roger, and you're right. It's amazing. Like, all his impressions are amazing. I mean, the guy. Right, you know, right. I mean, he's just, and it's so funny because I've seen the tour posters, and you know, he put these two pictures up. You know, which Robin should I do? And they both look like Robin. You're right. He transforms into it. How did you hook up with him to do this tour? Well, um, he uses uh, his body. You know, he thinks Robin's using his body as a vessel. And I think I use my body as a vessel for Domino's Pizza. Because using my body as a vessel. I don't know. I could work on that. All right. So, um, but basically, Roger and I are old friends. I remember the first time we, we did a thing together. We we shot this thing together. I used to, you know, produce cable shows and stuff. And, and we, we did this thing where we went to the Hollywood Wax Museum. And he went around to the different exhibits and imitated the people with the statues. And it was, it was, it was amazing. It was some of the best stuff I've ever been a part of. At that time, it was maybe the funniest thing I've ever been a part of. And uh, anyway, so but we became friends, and we just get along. And I have a love for his everything, for everything about him. The guy's such a pure artist, you know, at that level. Artiste. He gets the E. Right. Now, now, how many how many minutes will you be doing? How many minutes will he be doing? How will it work out? Well, it's like a co-headline show. We both do our acts, and it's, that gives people a chance to, you know, they're paying more for the ticket. These venues are nicer venues. We're playing theaters that Jay Leno plays, and, you know, we mentioned the Civic Center and the Khaled Civic Center this Wednesday. And, um, we're at uh, the Alabama Theater in Myrtle Beach, which is a really nice theater, and the Genesee Theater in Illinois. Again, these are just, like, these amazing, beautiful showrooms and stuff. And then we're, we're at casinos. We're at the Seven Cedars Casino, and we're at the historic Everett Theater near Seattle. And we're in Reno for three weeks at the uh, Pioneer Comedy Underground there, which is, uh, you know, underneath where they have the Philharmonic and stuff like that. They have this beautiful right. black box theater. It's gorgeous. Really nice. Anyway, so the list goes on of all the places we're going to be at. It, it literally, there's 50 shows between now, and they're not, and we're not even done booking the year yet. Now, how do you, I mean, how do you yeah. take to Pretty be, sure. how do you Pretty take sure. to, how do you take going on the road? Is, is, is it getting grueling for you as you get older, or is it still the, the cakewalk? Well, I wouldn't say it's a cakewalk. Certainly getting older is not a cakewalk. Um, but you do learn how to, you know, do it right. You sort of learn your, you know, what you need to do to make it happen. And then you don't do that stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think I'd be the James Bond of traveling by now, but I'm still late for the airport, and I've always been unorganized, and I never pack right, and I bring too much stuff, but I do all that. And you just learn to deal with it, and that's the way it is. And then, you know, if you forget something somewhere, you buy a new one. And I lose about six things at tour, and it's, you know, the scarf and the thing, and then hopefully it's not the iPod. And, you know, that's how it works. Now, where can people find the whole list of dates? Oh, well, one good place to find it is at michaeljfox.org, because we're raising money for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. In fact, we're on scheduled to raise at least $10,000 this year alone. I did it before uh, a ways back, raised quite a bit of money, and now we're doing it again this year. And um, 
all the tour dates are listed on michaeljfox.org under Skippy's Team Fox. And you guys are invited to join Skippy's Team Fox and participate and be a part of it all. And uh, it's a great cause. It's a great foundation. And there you have it. Great. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, keep keep watch the snow. You know, it's not we're not supposed to think of that much. You're going to be fine. So anyway, so people go to uh, it's michaeljfox.org. Check it out. And that has all the dates. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. So people, so check them out. Check out Mark Price Live. It's a great show, and Roger's an amazing comic. So you're gonna have a really good time. I want to thank you for taking time today. Uh, uh, Mark and people, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only a tip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.